0: Not
1: maybe don't, maybe
0: don't. like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is who we are. We're good at this stuff. And I think that's always going to be part of who I am as a rock climber. But I also really like this goofy stuff in the killer cave where I can play with the other element of climbing.
2: What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by powercompanyclimbing.com. This is part two of our exploration of climbing and identity with Josie McKee. So if you have not yet listened to part one, you should go do that. Today, in this episode, Josie has returned from her trip and we discuss how it measured up to her expectations, but maybe more important, we start to lay out some of the things that we all will wrestle with at some point and how we can make climbing a more sustainable, joyful thing for ourselves over the long-term. Let's get into it. You know when you bump into a climber you haven't seen for a while or you get together with a climber you haven't seen for a while, you're immediately talking about what have you been climbing on yeah. You know, how did your trip go? Things like that.
1: Yeah.
2: It's so hard to not ask that question immediately. So like getting the mic set up and getting us sat down to talk to it, I've been like chomping at the bit to ask these questions about <laughs> how the trip went. You know, we, we talked so much about how you hoped it would go and what you've been preparing for that I've just really needed to know.
0: Well, I think it's funny because I was just reading this thing about conversations with people and how opening with, you know, how have you been is just such a weird question. Because you're like, wait, you want me to summarize everything in (laughs) a quick sentence? Um, So it's, it's hard to... It's a hard question to answer, right? But that's what we're doing with this whole time. Um,
2: yeah, we're not doing the one sentence answer <laughs> at all. It's like let's let's dig deep into how things went
0: well and and for the one sentence answer, like it went really well. It was Good. a great time. I love Yosemite so much, and this was this just reinvigorated that love,
2: so uh oh. We we ended the last podcast by me suggesting you might become a sport climber full time or a boulder or even um, you just made it sound like you might go back to the valley. So now we have to see what's going to happen. Um, I kind of want to break it down three different ways, like talk about how it how the preparation went physically, uh, how it went tactically, logistically, uh, especially since it seems like every place's weather has been weird this year. Like West Coast has been really snowy, wet. East Coast has been forever November. Um, So I'm curious to hear how that went and maybe most how it went mentally and emotionally and and how, like you just mentioned, you're feeling like your identity as a climber is shifting or solidifying or whatever. Yeah. Um, so let's start physically. We're just going to jump into this thing. What about the preparation that you did went really well? And I think this is going to be a question that a lot of people are asking because training by sport climbing, to go climb on big walls on granite in Yosemite might seem really foreign to people.
0: Yeah. So I think something that's really interesting with this preparation that was hard, but what worked really well was being committed to preparing for big objectives mm. when everyone around me all summer was working on their hard projects. And sure. I was not doing that. Like, I had some projects, but I wasn't limit projecting. Mm-hmm. I was instead climbing a bunch of pitches of 510 and 511 and then going and trying some mid-512 things so that I could see if I could execute 512 climbing when I was already physically fatigued. Right. Um, and, like, it, it worked super well, but it's really hard to do that when you're in a sport climbing place and people are psyched. And they're no like, doubt. what are you working on? And I'm like, nothing to write home about. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's, it's much easier for, <clears throat> like, to find partners, um, to schedule your days out if your objectives sort of line up with someone else's.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's tough to do when everybody's projecting and you're not.
0: Yeah. What turns out it works pretty well is, like, I was doing some like up down up laps or Mm -hmm. doing something like you know low 512 resting for a short duration and then doing it again Mm -hmm. um and doing those things quickly actually aligns well between someone else's red point burns like it takes up less time probably than a long get like a beta sus of a Project or something like that. So Mm -hmm. it balances out. Like nobody was doing exactly what I was doing, but I could still share the crag with the partners and have that same rotation of back and forth.
2: Yeah. I also think, you know, you just said something really important that I think it's glossed over a lot is um, you were doing like up and down pitches. And one of the benefits of learning to down climb and spending time climbing down and getting proficient at it is that you just feel really proficient moving around on rock. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a really underrated skill, especially for it, – that's especially valuable for climbing on big objectives. You want to be able to move any direction competently and confidently at any moment.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. It's – it's interesting that you brought that up because something that I wanted to talk about, something that I found that this physical preparation really shined with was I just felt so much more comfortable. Like mm. everything was more relaxed. Like I was able to keep climbing hard even when I was tired. And then I was also able to like dig deep even when I was halfway up the wall on a down climbing pitch. Mm -hmm. like it just all felt like I could I just felt this sense of I'm capable of being here like I belong here
2: that's cool and you felt strong enough to do the moves you wanted to do all of that I mean do we ever feel strong (laughs) enough to do all the moves we want to do but you felt like you were well prepared
0: yeah yeah and I think something that I realized on this trip, and this kind of goes into the mental aspect of it too, but we know that mental and physical are overlapped, so it's I'll for th- sure say it now, but um, the the feeling of being strong and confident is it was surprisingly a new feeling to mm. me. like it was a different switch that flipped for me, and I realized that I had been. Climbing for most of my life in this sense of kind of constant tension and stress. Because Mm -hmm. when you track climb on big stuff, like it's a little scarier, it's a little more dangerous. Yeah. And I think I was operating so much at my physical limit still in these environments that are actually dangerous for many years and and getting away with it. Right. But just climbing with so much more physical tension in my body from stress of like not hurting myself and this physical preparation of just being a little bit stronger than the pitches that I was on came across with this just feeling of ease and fluidity with the movement on pitches that I have climbed on before. I was like oh, wow, I don't feel stressed here anymore. Right. It was, it was pretty cool.
2: <laughs> How much do you think your like familiarity with Yosemite, with the airiness, with, the, with granite techniques and crack techniques also played into that? And I ask because it's not – I don't think a person who's never been to Yosemite – who's only been training as a sport climber, is going to experience exactly the same thing.
0: No, I think that the, you know, people say that toss around the 10,000 hours thing as like mastery over something. Like I have no idea how many hours I've spent on granite, but I also, going back to granite on this trip, I was like, oh yeah, I'm kind of a granite wizard. Like Mm, I'm good at this stuff. I love it. It's, It's like... You know weird body po- body position tension pressing on things, like trusting things that are not holds, like all this stuff that you have to learn how to believe in granite climbing
2: I yeah think. yeah i i have a, I might have even talked about this in the first episode. I'm pretty sure I did. Um, watching Ron Cout climb on granite when I was a young climber was like oh, there's a there's a level of wizardry here that I have not yet reached mm-hmm. and may never reach. Mm-hmm. Um, but having that mastery of the style, of the belief in the style, I think is so important for being able to transfer the skills that you, the physical skills that you gain sport climbing into that, that yeah. granite world.
0: And you mentioned Ron Kalk and I'm like, don't say the words mastery and me in the same sentence as Ron Kalk. <laughs> <Calc. laughs> like, huge amount of humility there.
2: <laughs> I mean, there are levels of wizardry, <laughs> you know? Uh, Ron Kalk's wizard hat is bigger and pointier than all the rest, I think, totally. when, it, when it comes to granite climbing. Um, but I, I, it excites me to hear you say that out loud. Like, I'm a granite wizard. It's exciting to hear someone be confident that way in their own skills.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have a hard time saying things like good about my climbing in general. Like, I'm a little bit bit embarrassed now. No, (laughs) no. don't be. Um, Don't be
2: embarrassed at all. That's, That's why it excited me.
0: But I had these moments where like, it just clicks where you're like, oh my God, that works. And I just did like, I didn't know the beta. I just did it. Yeah. Because my body naturally knows how to do it. And it's such a cool feeling when you just flow through something like that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I had one of those moments. And then a few minutes later, somebody that was working on the same pitch as me, it was like, I I don't know what you were standing on. Like, you just floated up like that. Like, it was so easy. And I was like, yeah, I know. Like, (laughs) it felt really easy and cool. Like, surprisingly easy, even though it was hard.
2: That's awesome, I love it. Um, are there parts of that that you think could be dialed in more? If you were going to repeat the same thing, starting right now, what would you dial in a little further?
0: I just need to be stronger. Like, just keep, I can getting, just stronger. keep getting stronger. Right?
2: Yeah. Um, I think that's an it. That's a that's a great answer. And I think the interesting thing about it again is. That, that can be a valid answer for you, you know? Mm-hmm. But like I said before, the person who's just taking their first trip or even their third trip to Yosemite, if you've spent a total of 25 hours climbing on granite, just getting stronger probably isn't the right answer for you. It could still be helpful, but it's going to be less helpful for that person than it is for you because you get to translate it.
0: Yeah. And I think that going, like I did a little trip to Vitavu right before going to Yosemite. Mm-hmm. And that could be for somebody who's in a similar situation, but doesn't have as much background climbing on granite, Yep, a longer trip to somewhere nearby climbing on granite. Um For me, it was maybe it was helping me build the familiarity back with granite and reminding me to, place gear like plugging the right pieces first go, that right. kind of thing. Um, but I think more than anything it was like a reminder in my mind that like, oh yeah, Josie, you know how to do this. And the, mm. the Vu trip also went really well and was a blast. I only climbed for I think, did I climb two days, three days? I don't know. It was it was a short trip, but yeah. it was really fun.
2: I love that place. Yeah. We should just go down there sometime. Yeah. That'd be cool. I love it. Um Yeah, I agree, and I think even if you're like looking to prepare for a big trip like this, and all you've got available is sport climbing, if you can even find, it doesn't have to be an established boulder problem. Like if you can climb on vertical to slabby, relatively polished granite, you know, even if it's ten feet tall, you make yourself some rules and learn how to stand on polished granite, Mm -hmm. that's going to go a long way beyond what, you know, sport climbing on sandstone or something is is going to do for you.
0: Totally. And then for all the lander climbers here, the killer start that you all hate is kind of like climbing on slippery granite. And I climbed on killer a lot last year.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Standing on all those little smeary, slippery feet when you look at it and you're like I'm not stepping there Mm -hmm. you know but you know you need to step there that's the kind of climbing you need to do I
0: climb so much and I kind of love it
2: I like same
0: (laughs) it's hard but it's yeah it's fun
2: were there holes was there something you got there physically other than I just need to be stronger to do harder things was there something you wish you would have done
0: I don't really think that there's anything that I wish I would have done differently. Like I think I was as prepared physically as I could have been um, with the amount of time that I spent preparing for it.
2: Yeah, that's great. Um, Shout out Alex and the Climbstrong team for for bringing that together. Um, That's a hard thing to do, you know. Um, And I think it sounds absurd to a lot of people to – I'm only gonna or largely sport climb to prepare for big wall climbing,
1: but mm-hmm.
2: but I think it can be really effective, and I think you're you're proving that. Um, let's before we dive into the like mental emotional side, which might be the hardest transition to make. Yeah. Um, let's talk mm-hmm. tactics and logistics. Um, and I'm thinking like. How was the weather? Um, partners, how did all that play out for you?
0: Yeah, so this is probably the hardest part of big wall climbing, at mm, least for me. Yeah. Um. So this was the first time, kind of ever, that I've like gone to Yosemite on a trip without a partner planned out. I had like, right. I mean, I've spent so much time there. I have community there. I have all these people that are psyched to go climb with me, but I didn't have the one partner. Mm. And it was kind of cool in a way because I was like, I'm focused on these things and I would just get people to go, that were psyched to go do these things. And a lot of times just supporting me, which was also kind of new to me. Um getting someone that, like, didn't actually have their own objective with yeah. a big route to just be like, heck, yeah, like, I'll go up there with you. That'll be rad.
2: Um, That's I'll- awesome to have.
0: Yeah. yeah. And,
2: and you get to, especially in a situation where you're coming in, like, physically strong, feeling confident, and then you get to feel like this superstar that is being supported, you know, fully <laughs> supported by someone else. That's a cool feeling.
0: It was pretty fun, yeah. Um, so... I had that on a few occasions, and and it was also really nice to just tap back into the community and either get to know people better that I had n- known before but had, like, never climbed with or barely climbed with, um, and then meet some new people and get psyched on some similar objectives with them. Yeah. The hard part about it was that, like, I would go climbing with one person one day, and then... The person that I talked about climbing with later in the week, like wound up going climbing with somebody else the next day, and rest days just weren't aligning very well, sure. and you just get worked. You're not climbing one day on one day off there, yeah, when you're climbing a big wall in a in a day,
2: yeah, and supporting um, is still pretty hard work,
0: yeah, and like I mean, when I say supporting, I'm not talking about somebody that's like just jugging my lines or whatever, right, but right. like just somebody that's like, okay, you lead the pitches that you want to lead like. I'll help you get there fresh or or yeah. I lead everything and they are following like whatever those logistics look like. I wasn't fully putting people through slave
2: labor. Totally. Totally. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Although that might be <laughs> potentially the best <laughs> method.
2: <laughs> yeah. That that could be a really <clears throat> great method. I mean, we've seen it work for a lot of superstars.
0: Yeah. So definitely. I don't know if I've I've quite achieved that superstar status or not
2: (laughs) (laughs) if you had to do it again would you go in the same way or would you rather go in with a like specific partner who also has an agenda
0: well i think the one thing and this is this goes into the other component of logistics that you're talking about which is weather um was that I went in with this casual mentality that like I had as much time as I wanted and I could just work on these things with different people until I was ready to go give the thing a go, right? right. Um, and I got to that point a little bit more slowly because I was casually going about it and then we had a giant snow dump in mm. o- mid-October. Um, Or I guess we had a small one in mid-October and then another one, like, end of October or something like that. Um, So conditions kind of got shut down for me. Right. Where I think, like, so to simply answer your question, I think it would be really good to go next time I go, if I'm going to, like, try to execute with someone who is also trained and prepped for this because a lot of the people when I showed up there were like, oh it's like yosemite season let's get warmed up by doing this or that and like we did a handful of other Mm -hmm. like shorter long routes and then went cragging a bit or went part way up things and it was like it was fun and it was like getting people warmed up for it but i was like i got there ready to perform you were ready i was ready so somebody else that's trained up too would be good
2: yeah you can take advantage of the windows mm-hmm. much easier if you show up prepared
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I was I mean I was probably losing fitness there I was certainly losing fitness there right
2: yeah and that, that's definitely a different paradigm than the normal like valley season
1: mm-hmm. where it's
2: like you roll in you you gain your fitness by going cragging by going up easier things and then, as the temps get good in the fall, you're you're like starting to hit your stride. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, I think that's really smart coming in, and next time thinking I'll do it with a partner who's also trained up. Mm-hmm. Super smart way to go about it. Yeah, and you know that's not to say there's anything wrong with the like the slow approach of gaining the fitness, especially to learn how to climb on granite to to learn the logistics and tactics necessary to climb these big hard objectives that slow build is probably the better way to approach it initially for most people.
0: Yeah, totally. And it yeah. like it's a way that works really well and has worked for me getting up to a certain point in my climbing, but Right. Now I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. If I want to do things, I got to do them cuz yeah, the weather like Conditions are such a big thing, um, and it goes from being seemingly really hot less to really predictable cold. now. Yeah, totally.
2: Maybe that's like the like phenomenon of just getting old and thinking everything was really easy to predict back in the day or something. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know, but it certainly seems like the weather patterns that existed twenty years ago, ten years ago, are. Dramatically different now.
0: Yeah. It seems like that for sure. Um, Especially just with the way the weather went. There was literally like maybe four or five days of perfect conditions in October. Mm. Before, like when I first got there, it was too hot. And then it got perfect. And then it snowed. And I feel like it used to be like all of October was like that. Yeah. Like nice, cool, crisp, clear.
2: Yep. I'm curious. Are you the kind of person... I think it can go one of two ways. Like, you come in with a big objective, but the weather is not looking ideal. Do you wait it out, hope, and see what the weather does? Or do you change gears and go somewhere else?
0: Um, I... I would say that I've done both, but on this trip, I was just like, "Well, it seems like like there's seepy cracks, I'm not going to be able to do the climbs, like the free climbing, the hard free climbing that I had wanted to do." Yeah, and I had a partner that has been that we climbed together for our first time on this trip, um, but she had been kind of itching to get back on some more speed climbing stuff, mm. and so. Well, this is a bit of an epic adventure that I got myself into, but um, Mm. just kind of decided to switch gears and stay in Yosemite and be able to do some other stuff. Um, So after that big snow dump in late October, we decided, we waited a few days, waited for the snow to melt on the valley floor. Like It was pretty nice weather out, but still cold at night, like in the teens or 20s at night. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, we decided to climb the nose in a day and this was our first time climbing to get, well, I think we'd done like a little bit of working on one single pitch and then we we're like, all right, we're going to go do the nose in a day, which is like, sounds sort of silly and wild, but this is not the first time I've done the nose in a day the right. First with the first time climbing with someone. Like if you've both done it enough times it's not as big of a deal yeah
2: you can just trust the the other person's skills if you know that they know how to do it and have already done it yeah
0: yeah and so well so this is my friend Kate and uh, a mutual friend of ours had been telling us like we should go climb together we should do these things together and so we were psyched like this is something to do with the less than perfect conditions and we got up to the Changing Corners pitch, which is pitch, whatever, 20-something up there.
2: Yeah, way up there.
0: And it's like, you know, it's pretty short days, so the sun is just going down. And I get to Camp 6, which is like a table-sized ledge, and it is under a waterfall. Oh, no. And I'm like, okay. Uh, maybe I should just strip down so that I don't get all my layers wet while I climb through this waterfall. So I was getting ready to do that. She jugs up and has a rain jacket. So I put on the rain jacket for the lead and then <laughs> untie the ro- end of the rope when I get to the top of the pitch and lower her down the rain jacket for the jug. <laughs> and at this point, it's like, it's taken way longer to climb these pitches because yeah. they're like, these don't sound like speed water.
2: climbing tactics. We're, we're not speed
0: climbing anymore <laughs> <laughs> at this point. And she had brought one of those Beal Escaper things. Mm-hmm. Um, if people aren't familiar with that, it's a way you can repel something with a single rope and then yeah. jiggle it loose and it comes down. And I was like, I have limited trust in this concept yeah, for repelling most of El Cap with.
1: <laughs> no
2: question.
0: Um, And so I didn't even think about using it I'm like, oh, changing corners Like on a normal time up the nose Changing corners You're like under an hour to the top Like maybe Mm -hmm. 20 minutes to the top If you're going really fast Um, And so I just didn't think about it But then I proceeded to climb through wet cracks The rest of the way And we don't top out until 10 at night And then we get on top and it's freezing Mm. And we're wet wet. And luckily we had stayed sort of dry And then we try to go down the East Ledges, and the East Ledges is, like, ice. And so we're like, all right, we're going to walk out the Yosemite Falls Trail, which is eight miles. And we start going out the Yosemite Falls Trail um, in, like, ankle-deep snow. And then eventually it's knee-deep. Eventually it's thigh-deep.
1: Oh, man. And we're like,
0: this is not going to work. I'm going to get frostbite. It's in the teens. My feet are completely soaked. Like, we got to go back. We got to do something. So... We actually wound up spending most of the night, like, standing in the woods, uh dancing to keep our feet warm <laughs> and, like, <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell to do. And then we decide that the best option is that we're going to repel all of El Cap because uh, that's the with only way the, with the Beal Escaper.
2: Oh, my God. Which is
0: – now we haven't eaten anything uh, I don't know which I would night. choose,
2: frostbite or <laughs> trusting that thing.
0: Well, I yeah, that's I was feeling about that way. The Kate, Kate had all the psych for this. She's like, I got it. We we can do this. I'm like, all right, because she's used it before. I don't know. She yeah. had faith, and I was like, oh my god, I haven't eaten anything. I'm dehydrated. We haven't slept all night, and now we're gonna go rappel three thousand feet on a single seventy meter rope. Like this is the most heinous thing I've ever considered doing. This sounds awful. This yeah. is my worst nightmare.
2: Sounds terrifying.
0: But luckily, as the sun came up the next morning, the east Ledges had like softened a little bit, and we were mm. able to swim our way down through waist deep snow and manzanitas and get down the normal way.
2: Um, wow, that's terrifying. so that
0: was a long segue to answer your question was I, I like tried to bang my head on the wall in Yosemite and continue to climb in Yosemite because I was psyched yeah. uh, and then I pretty much threw in the towel after that <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I'm gonna also. You know, bring this back around to the the idea that you making that choice is different than a person making that choice who is on their first big wall, you know? Because you have the skills to figure that situation out on the fly and to understand here are our options, here's what we do. There's no... There's not a good way to prepare for that other than to be in epic situations multiple times that are increasingly more epic.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: know? It's not like it's not like Alex was gonna program in like, okay, you're gonna go to an all night rave <laughs> and then you're gonna stand in a kiddie pool full of ice for a few hours. And, you know, he wasn't going to program in all these specific things. Maybe he things. should. Maybe he Alex, should. are you listening to this? <laughs> <laughs> but it was those years of spending time getting yourself into situations that helps with that.
0: Yeah. And while Yosemite is not one of those places that you normally deal with those kind of conditions, like right. climbing in the Alpine, I was like, oh, it just all of a sudden got Alpine in Yosemite yeah. Valley.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. This is what I know how to do. Like, I can suffer. I can be really cold. I can stay up all night and still function. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, but I, like, I can keep putting one foot in front of the other in those kind of situations for sure. Yeah. Which, to my detriment, like, honestly, I felt really stupid continuing to climb upward mm. when we got to the Changing Corners and it was in that condition and mm. it was getting dark and it was cold. Like, look in hindsight, which we all know, hindsight, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, if I had really thought through what it was going to be like to continue to climb through wet conditions and then top out in snowy, yeah. which it was just way more snowy on the Valley Rim than we expected it to be based on the conditions of the Valley Floor. Mm-hmm. Um, But, like, I would have bailed from there. Like, I would have chosen the Beal Escaper for the handful of pitches that you needed to have the full 70-meter rope to get down off the nose. And then then you can use half a 70 for a lot of it um, if I had really thought about it. But I didn't think about it. I just – you think about climbing El Cap and you're, like, that high up, like, going up. Bailing up is the best Mm -hmm. way. I've bailed up from – multiple points on LCAP plenty of times where this is like, I don't want to be here anymore, but it's going to be easier to just get up the thing.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm curious. Do you think, and you know, feel totally free to say, no, that's not it at all. Um, Do you think part of that decision was having spent so much time out of the like of that sort of decision making Um, going cragging in Wyoming is a a radically different set of decisions that have to be made. You know, you can be back at your house in 30 minutes from almost anywhere in Sinks Canyon. So um, is is it partially like atrophying decision-making skills in that environment?
0: I'd like to say yes right now, but.
2: <laughs> 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 but really, no, Chris, it's because I'm a hard headed motherfucker. <laughs> well, that's good to know, too. <laughs> uh,
0: no. <laughs> um, I was actually just teaching a wilderness medicine course again for the first time in a little while. And I like to tell these stories of like when I was younger and dumber and yeah. like made hard headed decisions. Um, and I've definitely done that when I'm teaching those courses. Like, oh, yeah, when I was younger and dumber, like, last week. Like.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, this is one you can tell in the future then when I was younger and dumber.
0: Yeah. But <laughs> I think, I mean, I get better at it at every time. And I like to take these experiences and learn from them. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, I think what it is, is that you don't realize you're making a decision. You just are continuing to sure. go about what the, the plan was mm-hmm. rather than constantly reassessing, constantly reassessing. And the more aware and present you are with the situation at hand and the awareness that you have that, like, a decision is being made every time you take action to do anything, then you can make more conscious decisions. Um, but I just wasn't in that mode Sure. Because I was still just in going up mode.
2: Yeah. That, well, that's a really smart way to look at it, um, that, that every time you take action, it's you making a decision and keeping that in mind. Super smart. Um, let's move on to the mental, emotional side of it all. Um, it's interesting you started this all out by saying it, re- it went really well. And then you start saying, well, the weather kind of crapped out and we got <laughs> ourselves into this epic. And and I'm not saying that that means it didn't go well. I just think it's great that you're still saying it went really well despite all of these hurdles. And I think mm-hmm. that has a lot to do with your mental and emotional um. Stamina, maybe.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a... The specific thing that I would attribute this to is my goals going into this Mm. trip, which are not the specific type of goals that people think about of, like, I want to send this thing, but that I wanted to go experience movement on the big stone and I wanted to learn. And this is, like this trip is a training trip for the next big trip. And like every time you're learning and growing and that element of it is like, it's the thing that can make it every time a good experience because you can always learn something you can always like, as long as you're going climbing, you're getting to move on the rock.
2: Do you think that's easier to come by for people sport climbing or is it harder for people to come by that? sport climbing like there's a lot of it's a simpler thing but then there's also a lot of baggage tied tied to grades and performing in front of people when sport climbing so i'm I'm curious with you having like gone really deep in both worlds what do you think
0: so it's interesting we were just watching pretty strong last night again yeah. i hadn't watched it in a few years yeah. and uh the film with Nina and Katie climbing on Middle Cathedral. Mm-hmm. Really fun to watch them try hard up there on that. Um, yeah. They were t- Oh, I think uh, Emily Harrington was talking about Big Wall Free Climbing as like a setting context for this portion of the film. And she was like, you know, the red pointing a hard pitch when you've already put in all of this effort to get up there, like they had climbed all these run-out scary 5.10 and 5.11 pitches plus mm-hmm. some 5.12 pitches to get to these 5.13 pitches. And then you're like having one little thing go wrong that's making you fail to redpoint that. Like there's so much more, yeah, like more pressure that goes into like trying to send that stuff. And I feel that for sure. Like listening to her say that, I was like, oh, yeah, like there's a lot that goes into that. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was I was laughing thinking about all the people here that get so frustrated when they don't send on that go on their sport climbing project and right. it's like so who cares you pack up you go home you rest a day and then you come back again yeah um, and i think that putting those kind of efforts in in yosemite have made it has made it easier for me on the sport climbing stuff to not have that kind of pressure mm. like it just can't really care that much about sending one pitch this go and then learning to do that realizing that like oh yeah this go doesn't really matter even even with all of the preparation that went up into getting up there on a wall Mm -hmm. like you're you're still getting something out of the experience even if you don't send this go
2: right what matters is your that you're ge- putting the effort in and mm-hmm. that you're staying open to to learning whatever it is that you, you need to have in order to reach whatever that destination might be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, I don't know, it's, it's just a different perspective to take on it. It's like, it's the long game of like being a better rock climber.
2: I think it's interesting to to pull that out of training for an objective. And I think a lot of people get trapped into, I trained for this. I I prepared as well as I could prepare for this. So now I deserve to do it. Mm -hmm. Or like I'm owed this sin somehow. As you're like building up your, mental coaching business i suspect you're going to come across a lot of people who are hitting this wall of i trained i deserve it where is it somebody better give it to me you know (laughs) how do you how do you help people avoid how did you avoid i mean you know part of it is certainly because you came from this background that you came from but how do you avoid getting caught in that trap
0: Well, it's interesting because one of my clients actually asked me this question, this very same question, pretty much, Mm -hmm. because she had been training to do the nose in a day. Yeah. And then her partner got injured and conditions were whatever, like all these things fell apart. And she was like really disappointed in it and like really struggling with this like season long objective that she really wanted to do. And my first response was like, you're not going to like me saying this because she actually...
2: Yeah. I can't tell f- you how many times I have to type <laughs> that. You're not going to like this, but...
0: <laughs> and she was, she's actually a friend of mine that before she was working with me in this group mindset coaching program um, was when she asked me this question. And so I was just like talking to a friend, not necessarily to a client. But um, yeah, I was like, it has to do with your perspective when you're planning these goals. And making goals things that you have more control over, mm-hmm. like doing the nose in a day is a is a goal, but that's a that's an outcome oriented goal that we don't actually have any control over. Putting in the effort to train and become the climber that you need to be in order to produce that outcome and giving it a go, or maybe you don't even get a chance to give it the go because of the conditions, like, yeah. All of the effort, the commitment to becoming a better rock climber should be, I hate saying should, but there's not really a better word, but it's helpful for that to be the goal Mm -hmm. in order to maintain this long-term motivation and to maintain the motivation when things don't go your way. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I used to, (laughs) I'm starting to feel like we can't say anymore, oh, well, it'll always be there. Um. (laughs) Just because so many things seem to be disappearing, (laughs) uh, especially if you live in Canada or your goals are in Canada, Um, but but I still think that's a thing. Like, unless this is like the the last time you're ever going rock climbing, and and you you can't imagine yourself ever improving anymore, then. There's always going to be a way to come back to whatever that objective was. So tying so much of yourself to this one outcome, um, it's a a dangerous thing, but it's such an easy trap to fall into, you know?
0: Yeah, and like especially in... Rock climbing or these other sports that have these quantifiable results where you're like, totally. okay, this is this concrete thing that I can get to the top of
1: mm-hmm.
0: and say that, like, check that box, I did it. Right. Um, versus trying to come up with a real concrete definition of, of what your other goals are, the things yeah. that you are in control of, which is really just your effort.
1: hmm
2: Yeah. Were there... Were there things in your preparation that you feel like you would have or could have done differently to be more mentally, emotionally prepared? Or do you feel like it? you nailed this one too?
0: Um, I think I did a really good job with this one. I think there's something that I'm still trying to figure out. Um, and I may never figure this out, but the motivation to go for it when I wasn't ready, like, didn't mm. have all of the boxes checked. Yeah. Um, like, I wanted to go work on these pitches. I wanted to, you know, get my time down on the easier pitches so that I could, like, Feel like I was ready to give the send go effort. Right. And I just, like I said, I was kind of going about the process in a like, oh, I have all this time in the world. Mm-hmm. And there was that window. Like we knew there was a storm coming. Could I have gone then, but not as prepared as I wanted to be? Sure. Um, and that is maybe that's the mental piece that, like, maybe could have some work. That, But I don't actually know if I should have because I want to feel a certain way doing it. Sure. Right? Like I'd, putting that extra pressure of racing the storm when I wasn't set up for success mm-hmm. didn't seem at the time like a great idea. But would I be a better rock climber if I did those things more? Yeah.
2: that's That's where I think it, it – this is so tricky because – you know, yes, we are trying to make our goals more about our effort. Um, And there's a lot of rhetoric about, you know, the destination doesn't matter. It's all about the journey. But we do care a lot about Getting the thing done,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: doing the thing; those are those are great benchmarks for us and ways for us to measure our improvement. You know, it's it's really hard to just say, "Oh yeah, my effort has gotten better." You know, we measure that by I did a harder thing,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and coming from a place where you've always done something a certain way, whether that's Big wall climbing, sport climbing, whatever you tactically, you've always done it this way. I check all these boxes, and then I'm ready to check this final box. It's really hard to break out of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, is it something you could practice? Sport climbing, like, and, and maybe that's where projecting might be valuable in preparation. It's like, oh, I'm not ready to red point this project yet but I'm sure as hell going to try. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really going to give it a hard effort, even though I don't have that link figured out yet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So there's, there's a few different ways I want to go with answering this, but um,
2: let's go all the way. I, I
0: think the first thing I want to say is with the red pointing process is like, we have to choose in any given moment if we want to waste ourselves on one right. effort. Totally. Right. Because that, isn't going to help the rest of your climbing day Mm -hmm. and it's probably not going to help you send sooner yeah unless on the off chance you do send that go right
2: it could absolutely tank that day and then you're physically tired you don't get the opportunity to learn the things you wanted to learn that day yeah it can it can ruin a day or you can send and move on
0: yeah and, Tough call, and I've rarely been one to send on those kind of things. Right. Like it happens every now and then. Usually, that happens on a hard onsite,
2: mm-hmm. on site, not a
0: hard red point for me. Sure. Um, what I've been working on, and I think um, I, I'm—I didn't know where to plug this in because it's not really physically. Maybe it's a tactically thing that I still need to work on—is getting better at those red point efforts the like second go red points um,
2: or, or, or just sure. to illustrate the, the crazy overlap of the Venn diagram between all of these like physical mental t- tactical things yeah. maybe it's that you need to learn to value that more mm-hmm. maybe it is a, a mental emotional thing of valuing that struggle mm-hmm. um, versus the, the more tactical approach
0: And so, that's the other thing that I want to kind of talk about, which is what I've been playing with lately, Mm. is essentially I've been trying to train my own discomfort. Um, Climbing when things don't feel good. Right. Um, And this is another, like, silly-seeming silly Josie thing that I've been doing at the crag where, like, everybody's working on their projects. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to go do another lap on this thing and try to climb – as long as i can without resting and like mm-hmm. fight through the pump like the totally. real fight when mm-hmm. there's no other variables other than my ability to just give as much as i can because i know the route i know it's safe to whip wherever yep. and i can just play with this wall of my perception of effort essentially is like yep. can i can i push a little bit harder than i think i can can i be Uncomfortable, like I I don't know if I can do the next new move. I don't know if I can clip because I'm so damn pumped. But like, I'm gonna do one more move, and it's pretty fun to like just play with that concept on its own. Like no other goals, not Mm -hmm. trying to send. Just like, can I go a little bit further when I feel like crap?
2: Yeah, this (laughs) is this is one of my favorite things to do. Um, I've spent a lot of time playing with this sort of concept when it comes to pump when it comes to the pace that i climb at Mm -hmm. um i really like to reclimb things and try the beta that i avoided before
1: Mm -hmm.
2: um you know because climbing is is compensating it's what we do like oh i don't like that foot everybody uses i'm gonna find a different foot that works for me Mm -hmm. um well, let me go up this thing and try all the beta I avoided on purpose.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: let me try to climb it a little faster than I normally would, and not be so, not be so precise. Um, mm-hmm. I think that helps us learn to like value the the other side of the thing that we already value so much. You know, like I, I've I've said this to a lot of workshops. If you watch Adam Ondra climb there are times where he looks downright sloppy. Mm
1: -hmm. Like
2: like that guy cannot be a good rock climber. (laughs) You know, look at the way he's moving. He doesn't care at all. But but when he needs to care and he needs to be precise, it's impeccable, Mm -hmm. you know? But when he can just flop his foot wherever and do the move, it's what he does. Mm -hmm. And he's through it in a flash, you know, because he values both sides. He doesn't, he's not holding on to some like, I am a precise, beautiful climber, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think think we tend to tell ourselves stories that we fall into the trap of believing and then we have a hard time valuing the other side of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we've had a couple conversations around this lately of like the ability to turn up the effort and the precision when you're doing a hard boulder Mm -hmm. move, like on a route, like a hard boulder move on a route and then turn that back off into the like, relaxed flowy movement Yep. so that you're not because you can't give maximal effort on a full fort, sport pitch much as less a big wall yeah right but you have to be able to turn it on for those moments and do it well execute mm-hmm. and to go in and out of that is like it's a skill that can be endlessly refined i think
2: totally dial it to where it needs to be you know yeah. there's a whole spectrum of of movement from super precise to super sloppy,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and all of it can be really effective. It might be the most efficient way through. Most of us have one speed, mm-hmm. and we just tend to always grind at that same speed or mm-hmm. flop about at that same speed, whichever yeah. it is, you know.
0: And that's what I think. Kind of going back to what I mentioned in the beginning of all this is that I used to climb with tension all the time, mm. very precise. 'Cause you're, you know, climbing on a lot of this vertical stuff with ledges to hit and gear that's good but like it's not a bolt. And you're like, you don't want to fall. And right. so you don't climb dynamically. You mm-hmm. climb with this like super static, precise tension. Right. Which works to a certain extent, but it's not the best way to climb all the time. And so that's what I think I've learned a lot from sport climbing is using momentum and and pacing.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, I love that with sport climbing, you get to explore these things in a, in an environment that feels pretty safe. Um, So the discomfort's not coming from the gear or the exposure. Um, You can add the discomfort as you need to, to, to help yourself learn rather Mm -hmm. than Being, you know, having to take away a a chunk of that, that, you know, discomfort because it's forced upon you.
0: Yeah, totally. So That's what I was talking to Mike Holland about this, playing with this discomfort thing and lowered off a pitch and I was like, this is what I can't do, trad climbing. And he's like, oh yeah, doing that would be irresponsible where you're just like blasting through. To your absolute limit and like not clipping things. Like at a certain point, track climbing, you have to stop and place gear. And if you're too pumped to do that, totally, it's irresponsible.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Just the other day, I went sport climbing up in sinks, and, and, you know, just going up there is discomfort, you know, discomfort for me right now. (laughs) So learning to sport climb again was, was really fun. And the only thing, that bummed me out about the whole day was that uh, I have, I got myself into a spot where I did a move I couldn't reverse and I was having so much fun like forcing myself into this discomfort of just trust the foot and move trust the foot and move keep climbing keep climbing you know and I did that and I didn't see a couple holds so I put myself in a position where, that I couldn't reverse I couldn't move out of And I was only bummed because I didn't get to keep climbing in that same like pump and fatigue and because I was really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to like fall unexpectedly. I had to just be frozen and be like, okay, fine. I'm letting go. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of the coolest things I think you can do. Um, One of the best ways to learn is to get out there in the arena where we're normally performing and get yourself uncomfortable in a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. Super smart. Um, It makes me really happy to see you leaning into that.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I think that this is how, I I mean, I guess I said this a minute ago, it's like how you maintain over the long term because there's always something to learn.
2: Absolutely. We ended the first part of this um, talking about your identity and and it started to come up early in this conversation so so i have a feeling it that's a big part of this trip and what you're taking away or reflecting on this trip is how your identity is shifting evolving um or whatever it's doing so I'm curious to know your thoughts around all of that now. You obviously haven't just become a boulderer, which, you know, bum, <laughs> bums me out a little, but Sorry, I'll take Sorry, Chris. It. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I do kind of want to go bouldering a little bit. Well, let's That's go. Fun. Um, well, I think it, we kind of have touched on some of the things that I wanted to say, but haven't labeled them as identity. But I think the concept around how I'm approaching to the rock climbing process is Mm -hmm. really what is solidifying like who I am as a climber. Um, That it isn't really about being a big wall climber or a boulder or whatever. Um, It's about embracing this process of learning wall climbing Um, and that I love it. Like I love moving over rock yeah. And the more I get to move over rock, the better my life is. Mm-hmm. And so, like, climbing big stuff, like, you get to do more moves per sure. day or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I do still really, like, you know, we did that nose in a day. And the first half of it before, the first two-thirds of it before we wound up in a waterfall was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, like, this is incredible. And we did a lap up. Um, the free rider in two days just like not free climbing everything but just like playing and doing some hard stuff when we felt like it and and going quickly and this was with a couple of other friends that have been in the valley for a long time and we're like kind of just checking back into it also um being like oh my gosh this is like this is who we are like we're good at this stuff Mm. and so that's definitely an element of it is like i'm definitely really good at all the logistics of moving efficiently on big walls. And it's pretty cool that I can do that. Um, And I think that's always going to be part of who I am as a rock climber. But I also really like this goofy stuff in the killer cave where I can whip whenever and play with the other element of climbing. This Mm -hmm. like pushing my mental comfort, physical comfort. Um,
2: Do you worry – or am I about to worry you? <laughs> Don't um, worry me, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you get concerned or, or do you not think this should be a concern at all? Whether the being really good at doing lots of moves and being comfortable and playing um, and the always being in this learning mindset will detract from doing really hard things climbing a, something that difficulty-wise is really hard
0: that is a great question because i like we talk about all this process stuff and this like not need to perform and like i haven't been performing like i've just been training the last couple of years basically like I mean, I have, like I've sent some things, but I haven't done any of the like big bucket list things that you feel like you could like check a box and like hang your hat on.
1: Um, But I think that I'm trusting the process.
0: We'll see. That's my answer that I have for you is that, like, I decided that I needed to be better at rock climbing in order to get where I want to go. And so I'm focusing on getting better at rock climbing right now rather than performing.
2: I think that's a really good answer because I don't think it all has to happen right now. Yeah. It's really easy to get tricked into the immediacy of it. Like, I want to do something hard. Therefore, I need to. Be trying something hard right now
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know i think that's a really great answer and and it sets us up for another conversation down the road that we have to have about how are those two things what's being compromised between those two things like because i know you have desires to climb some really hard things
1: mm-hmm.
2: but you also love this learning playful side of it and those things can sometimes seem at odds so it's it's an eternal battle going on in my head so i'll I'll be really interested to have more of this this conversation with you in the future surrounding that question Mm
0: -hmm. so i mentioned that i had this thing that i wanted to read um and i think it's sort of Maybe answers the question a little bit. Um, so this is from the Art of Learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh waitskin one of my favorite books of all time. Oh, yeah, it's an amazing book, right? Yeah. So you know this, but yes. um, just for folks that are listening, um, Josh Waitskin was a grandmaster chess player, like child prodigy at age whatever twelve.
2: Yeah. I don't know exactly
0: his ages when he became grandmaster, but
2: yeah, the movie was, Searching for Bobby Fischer is about him,
0: right? And then he goes on to become a world champion um, Tai Chi fighter, right? And so he's done these two totally different disciplines and become an expert in them. And so he writes this book, The Art of Learning, basically about his process of becoming a master of things.
2: Yeah. Like he believes his his superpower is learning. Like Mm -hmm. I I can learn these things.
0: And – I had read this book years ago, and had just decided to reread it. But I'd also had this conversation around my identity as an athlete with Alex Bridgewater upon coming back home from Yosemite, and be like, "Oh yeah, what do I want to do with my training now? Yeah. Um, where am I going with all of this?" And I was like, "I don't know. I'm having like a bit of a crisis." And I was like, "I do. I just want to focus on trying to climb harder because I wonder how hard I could climb." If I focused on that, like if I just focused on climbing hard sport routes rather than, you know, Mm -hmm. doing lots of pitches of 512. Um, And in the course of the conversation, I didn't really know how to articulate it or define what I was dealing with or what I was trying to say. And I was like, I feel kind of like I'm marching to the beat of my own drum. Like I could say that I want to be able to do these things like – what if I could climb 514 someday if I just try that? And then I felt silly because I was like, it's not really, it's not about a grade. It's (laughs) about like...
2: (laughs) This is my eternal battle. I really
0: don't care about climbing the grade. It's more of like, I want to know how hard I can push myself. I want to play with this level of discomfort and how far I can go. And then I read this passage from The Art of Learning and I texted Alex back a little bit later. I was like... I know a little bit more now. (laughs) And so he said, the game had become endlessly fascinating to me and its implications stretched far beyond winning and losing. It was no longer primarily refining the skill of playing chess. It was discovering myself through chess. I saw the art as movement closer and closer to an unattainable truth. The more I knew about the game the more I realized how much there was to know. I emerged from each good work session in slightly deeper awe of the mystery of chess and with a building sense of humility.
2: Mm. That's I, why it's one of my favorite books.
0: It's so good. But I've, I was like, Oh, that's what I'm doing. Like I'm emerging from every climbing session with this like new curiosity of how I can become a, better person essentially like yeah i can deal with like i don't know this is what i'm geeking out on right now is this concept of dealing with discomfort Mm -hmm. um and i think it might be the key to everything and i've gotten really excited about like this feeling of discomfort yeah like we don't want to have this Mm -hmm. like oh these butterflies in your stomach this dread of whatever anxiety and i've started to and this is what I think I did in Yosemite that changed things for me was like, oh, I love that feeling. Yeah, I'm excited about that feeling. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to puke and I'm going to crush because I feel this way <laughs> and just trying more and more to lean into it.
2: Totally. I mean, that's why I became a boulder. Like I was, I was good at sport climbing. I was an endurance. Cl- I had all the endurance I could ever possibly want but i just didn't have the like the ability to do really hard moves mm-hmm. and and understand the intricacies of these really hard moves and i didn't have the mental power to go into that world like to to dive deep into those intricacies and it made me really uncomfortable to try to do it mm-hmm. so That's, I mean, I leaned into it for years. Mm -hmm. Um, I love this. I fucking love this.
0: So I've been doing, you said Alex should write these things in the training program, but I've been uh, just taking cold showers every morning. It started out with a New Year's cold plunge in the Popoja, because I was Mm -hmm. like, this is a good way to start the year. Nice. Um, But then just like.
2: You're writing it into your own program. I wrote it into my own program.
0: (laughs) But I mean, there's so many good health implications of, Cold shower, like cold yeah. plunges, cold showers, but it is this like, oh, I can I can be here in this discomfort, and then uh, <laughs> I was talking to one of my girlfriends about this the other day. Dating is also one of those totally. things that it's like it's really uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, like, I wrote it into my <laughs> training program one year. Um, there were two things I wrote in. Number one was I have to be the last person awake. At the campfire at Miguel's. Oh, jeez. Because I avoided it at all costs. I'm like, I I don't want to be that social. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to gather partners. So I do that in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. So I purposely went down every weekend with no partner. And I would find my partners at Miguel's and then I would be social on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. You know, that was in my training program. And I hated it. And I wrote it into my program that I was going to take trips every year where I had no plan, no place to stay, no rental car, no nothing. I would get to the airport and then I would figure it out from there because I was a planner. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get good at that side of it so that I can go anywhere. I can figure out my way. I can find a partner. I can go climbing. You know, all that stuff helps you dig even deeper into the the learning process mm-hmm. doesn't have to be specifically climbing it's it's, it's going to translate
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah so. it's embracing it all as like a way of life of who you want to be as a person yeah right Your and so identity. like the, the climbing identity is not separate from the Josie identity the Chris identity like, alright I'm gonna do these things totally like, i want to be good at being uncomfortable
2: I think that's the perfect place to Wrap this up, and and I can't wait to have a follow up down the road of you know what kind of discomfort you're leaning into at that point because there's so much mm-hmm. in climbing that we can we can explore so many rabbit holes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it's fun this, to talk about.
2: This has been awesome. I think you know that's that's the kind of coaching mentality I think more coaches need is this like. Exploring yourself and getting uncomfortable often. Um, coaching has become this word that's like you have to know the answers. You have to you have to be the expert at all the things. You know. So it really excites me to hear of people who are coaching and and helping other climbers who are willing to explore their own discomfort
0: shows you School of Discomfort
2: <laughs> <laughs> Only well, you
0: can find The answers I'm, By I'm going and Exploring the edges Of <laughs> discomfort <laughs> well,
2: I'm glad you're Out there doing it Um you know, fun Where can people Find you And work with you
0: uh, So Mindathletetraining.com Is my website And um, I have a few Different things On there I have a little uh, Self-paced course That people can go through And I'm working on More of that I want to put out just like these little educational nuggets talking about discomfort talking about goals Um, so that's what's in the process right now or you can sign up and get one on one sessions with me too so
2: awesome we'll have links to all of that in the show notes as well so go click the links
0: thanks Chris super fun to chat about this stuff
2: yeah can't wait till the next one you know it's hard for me to look back at 20 something year old Chris and have any idea of how he would react to this conversation. He was hard headed, well, more hard headed, but I'd like to believe that he'd have changed course and realized some of these things sooner than he did. I'm glad he came to them eventually, but honestly, I truly believe that I would have been a much better climber if younger Chris wasn't quite so hard headed. Then again, Maybe we need that experience to come to these realizations in the first place. I appreciate getting to talk with Josie as she's grappling with these things, and while I believe that a coach doesn't have to be a great athlete, in climbing it certainly helps to work with a coach who has breadth and depth of experience. Josie fits that bill, and it's obvious that she's engaging with these questions on a high level, And I will say with absolute certainty that a coach who's asking questions is a better bet than a coach who believes they have all the answers. You can find out more about Josie and work with her at mindathletetraining.com where she has workbooks, workshops, and group programs, as well as one-on-one mindset coaching opportunities. She's also written an article about discomfort and curiosity that we have on our site right now. In your show notes. You can find your way to the blog post for this episode, and from there, we'll direct you to the places you want to go. Power Company Podcast is brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. We are entirely listener supported. You can do that at Patreon.com PowerCompanyPodcast or right there in your Apple Podcast app. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at PowerCompanyClimbing. But not Twitter. Never the Twitters. Because we don't tweet, we scream like eagles. This
1: time, this time, this time,